Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 20, as we read the story of Easter morning. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you, and you can follow along. John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Down to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. I wonder what word you would use to summarize Easter. Maybe it's chocolate, having binged already on the chocolate this morning. Maybe it's bunnies or eggs or something. But for Mary that morning, if you would ask her, she would say hope. Hope. 2020 has been a pretty tough year. On top of all the challenges we normally face, there's been an extra layer of COVID, racial injustice, financial pain, political disillusionment, loneliness, mental health challenges, and on and on and on. And in this darkness, we've been forced to ask the question, where do we place our hope? Is there any hope? Is there any unshakable hope for the deep brokenness of our lives, for the brokenness we see in our society, and for the uncertainty of our future? Where do we place our hope? Do we place it in political change or in success, getting the vaccine, becoming wealthy, finding your true love, advances in education and science? Well, of course, all of these are good. But now more than ever, we know that these hopes are not unshakable. They are fragile. They are uncertain. And they often can't promise. They don't deliver on what they promise. Is there an unshakable hope for this world? This is the question that we're forced to ask on Easter. And as Mary comes to the tomb, as she comes to the darkness of despair, thinking all hope is lost, she finds a new hope, a true hope, a certain hope, an unshakable hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing she finds is an unshakable hope for the brokenness of our lives. For the brokenness of our lives, there is hope. See, Mary 
had a past. (laughs) She had a traumatic past. It says in Luke's gospel that she was oppressed by demonic forces, seven of them. She was in a society that already overlooked and rejected women, didn't give them any rights, but treated them as property. And on top of that, she was suffering this ongoing psychological and emotional turmoil. She would have been at the lowest rung of the ladder. She was overwhelmed by the brokenness of her past. Like Mary, don't we carry brokenness from our past? Don't we too carry hurts and habits and hang-ups that weigh us down, that seem to never really set us free? I don't know about you, but maybe it's abuse or rejection, regrets, mistakes you've made, or things that have been done to you. John Baker, in his book, Life's Healing Choices, writes this, Are you all put together? The fact is, many of us are a mess. We're scattered all over the living room floor with no one to put us together and no idea where to begin the process of healing. Each of our lives is tangled up with hurts that haunt our hearts, hang-ups that cause us pain, and habits that mess up our lives. There is not a person in the world who doesn't deal with at least one of these on some level, and many of us struggle with all three. And I don't don't know about you, but last year it seemed that all of this came to the surface in a fresh way. But the great news of Easter is that God doesn't want us to live with our hurts, hang-ups, and habits, to have this past dominate our future. And on that Easter morning, Mary came to the tomb in the darkness, but found in the darkness the light of an unshakable hope for her life. You see, Jesus had already cast out these spiritual demons that had been plaguing her. Scholars think that the fact that there were seven means that probably it was an ongoing healing, that Jesus found her in such a difficult state, but committed to her healing, committed to her inclusion, committed to give her significance, committed to giving her a worth and a value that society wasn't. He was committed to healing her. No wonder then that she went to the tomb, utterly dejected at 4 a.m. in the morning, thinking that all hope was lost. But then to see that he was alive. And the text says that Jesus goes, don't hang on to me, which is obvious then that she'd clung on to him so much. Now you're never going to leave me again. You're my unshakable hope. You put my life back together. Never leave me. But Jesus knew that he would never leave her again. For the resurrected Jesus is the unshakable hope, not just for Mary, but for you and for me, for the brokenness in our lives. He is the unshakable hope to put us back together again. See, on the cross, on Good Friday, Jesus took all the sin and all the brokenness and all the pain and all the evil in this world and brought it onto himself that he would take it and plunge it into the grave for it to stay there. That he would come out of the tomb with the power to set us free, to bring healing, forgiveness, cleansing, and power. There is no hurt, no hang-up, no habit greater than the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. No matter how broken you feel today, 
He has the power to put you back together. I was listening to a podcast by a great friend this last week called Jamie Haith. Recommend his podcast to you. And he was interviewing a man called Brian who had struggled for many years with deep brokenness and anxiety. In Jesus, in the resurrected Jesus, he had found healing. He had found hope. And in response to this, he set up a charity to help others find hope in Jesus, find healing for the brokenness. He called this charity Kintsugi Hope. And he explains that Kintsugi is a Japanese practice of mending broken pots, not with invisible glue, but with seams of gold. This doesn't hide the damage, but repairs the brokenness in a way that makes the object even more beautiful and even more unique than it was before it was broken. Instead of hiding the brokenness, it makes something beautiful from it. Jesus is the unshakable hope for Mary, for Brian, and for you and for me that turns our brokenness into beauty. We've seen during this last year so much pain come to the surface, so much brokenness out on display. And for those who turn to Jesus, we've seen time and time again Him bring His gold to heal and to bring beauty. We run a course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality where we invite anyone who feels in a mess. I do. I did this course this last year and found once again as I came with the broken pieces of my life to Jesus, He started to put me back together. He is the unshakable hope for whatever you're facing in your life. But secondly, Mary not only found he was the unshakable hope for the brokenness in her life, but also the unshakable hope for the brokenness and darkness of society. You see, in verse 1, John tells us that Mary arrives at the tomb in the dark, He's not just telling us it was in the middle of the night. John uses this theme of darkness throughout his, throughout his whole gospel as a metaphor for the darkness of the world, the darkness of injustice and greed and selfishness and arrogance and pride and abuse and violence that tears this world apart, the darkness that starts with the sin and, the, and Satan in this world having their way. Mary was approaching the tomb in the darkness of the pain of society. We've seen this more than ever this last year, that despite all the positive advances in political theory, education, healthcare, and science, and all of these are good, but they're not enough. We still see the brokenness in the human heart that wreaks havoc in human society. We're all still looking for what will truly heal our culture, what will truly heal relationships, what will truly heal our city. And it's in this darkness that John points to a light, a light of hope. You see, he says it in verse 1, early on the first day of the week. This whole resurrection story is happening for John on the first day of the week. Now, we don't see any significance there, but the readers at the time would see the deep significance for, for John is echoing in this story that something's ha happening here that happened far long ago. He says, there was a, another first day of the week. 
Back in Genesis, when the world was dark and empty and void, on the first day of the week, God breathed out his life and said, let there be light. And creation filled the darkness. Beauty filled the pain. And in the same way, John is saying, because of the cross and resurrection, God has come again. And now this is the first day of a new week, the first day of recreation, the first day of breathing light back into the darkness. What the world has suffered under sin and Satan has now been freed because of the victory of Jesus. And as king of all creation, he's come to renew, to restore, to bring light where there's been darkness. That's why Mary mistakes him for a gardener. I don't know what she saw. That must, like maybe he was lawn mowing or something. I have no idea. But she mistook him for a gardener because Jesus is making the point that he is now the true Adam placed in the garden to cultivate, to bless, to multiply the things of God. This is the first day of recreation. See, Jesus is the only one who can transform the human heart, that can dig out the root problems of society. As the gardener, as the divine gardener, as the victorious gardener, he comes into each and everyone's life and roots out the weeds of pain and greed and division and pride and bitterness and anger that so divide us. And he replaces those weeds with the seeds of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. See, the resurrected Jesus comes to individuals, transforms their hearts that nothing else can do, and transformed hearts transforms lives that transform society. In the year 2000, Lizzie and I were married, and we married in London, and we lived in a suburb of London called Clapham. Now, we loved Clapham because we'd meet up after work, go for a pint or go out for a meal with our friends. It was an awesome time. But there was a very different group of people meeting in Clapham 250 years before that. They could have just had a pint and gone out for a nice meal, but they'd been captivated by the transforming power of Jesus. They were the wealthy aristocracy of the time. They'd all been to Cambridge together. They'd all found Jesus together. And instead of going to London just to live it up and party and gamble like the rest of their friends, they decided to dedicate their lives to meet every day in a house in Clapham to pray for the renewal of society, to pray that Jesus would bring his light into the darkness. They prayed and committed their lives because of what Jesus had done for them, they committed their lives to bringing healing and reform to the penal system, improving the care of mentally ill, the better labor conditions of the factories. And one person in particular in that group was captivated to eradicate a particular evil. And his name was William Wilberforce. And he was committed to the abolition of the great evil of the slave trade. See, William Wilberforce grew up living the life that everyone else did in his social status. He was wealthy, he was privileged, he was in government just because of his heritage, he went to the best schools because of his heritage, and started to join all the gambling and drinking clubs of London. But one day he met Jesus, and that transformed his heart. 
Jesus came in and repaired his heart, took away the sin and the selfishness, and replaced it with his love and grace. And he saw the world differently. And he saw the injustices of the world differently. And he saw the divisions, the racial divisions differently. And committed his life to their abolition. Ten million slaves left Africa for the plantations in the year 1787. And in that year, he put down his first motion in the House of Commons at the age of 27 to abolish the slave trade. It was not a popular cause amongst his friends. But he said this, So enormous, so dreadful did its wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I, from that time, determined I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. His anti-slavery bills were debated in government in 1789, 1791, 1792, 1794, 1796, 1798, and 1799, and they all failed. In 1831, he sent a message to the anti-slavery society in which he said, our motto must be perseverance. And ultimately, I trust the Almighty God will crown our efforts with success. He did. In 1833, the abolition of slavery bill was passed in government, and three days later, Wilberforce died. Is, what is the unshakable hope to heal our society? Transformed lives through Jesus Christ are the only hope to transform society. In the resurrected Jesus, we have the unshakable hope that our world desperately needs. And finally, in the resurrection of Jesus, Mary found an unshakable hope for our future. For our future. Mary approached the tomb in darkness because death is the ultimate darkness. Death is final. Death is irreversible. No one likes to talk about death. It's the last taboo, which is why I was so shocked to find that a teacher one day asked his group of eight-year-old students to write down what they believed about death, and here are their answers. Gilda, age eight, said this, when you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look too good. Stephanie, age nine, says, doctors help you so you won't die. That is, until you pay their bill. <laughs> Marsha, age nine, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there also. <laughs> and Raymond, age 10, said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die, but a bad doctor sends you to heaven. <laughs> it's awkward, isn't it? Because we don't like to talk about death. We do everything possible to put it off or postpone it, but eventually we know we can't prevent it. Lizzie and I were walking around the farmer's market yesterday, and I saw a book on the shelf that's read the title, How Not to Die. And I thought, I'm sure they've got some great advice on what to eat and what not, but I think the title is slightly overreaching. They can't deliver. Death is our ultimate enemy. Death is the ultimate darkness. But on Easter morning, when Mary approached the tomb in the dark, she found the light of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is alive. 
There is now an unshakable hope that death is not the end. I know that everyone likes to think and likes to wish that there is life after death, but there's no evidence for it. It's just hopeful thinking until the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ comes along and he bursts out of the bowels of death and proclaims that he is life and life eternal. Tim Keller wrote this. He said, think about the power of death for a minute. Think about it. Nothing can stop death. No human being can stop death. The power of decay, the law of the second law of thermodynamics, even mountains can't stop death. The mountains eventually get worn down to pebbles. Even the sun and stars can't stop death. Even they burn out and go to decay. Think of the power of death. Yet someone came who overmatched death. Jesus Christ was swallowed by death and exploded in its bowels. Jesus Christ did not just defy death. He did not just deny death. He destroyed death. That's the reason why Paul can say later on in the Bible, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? A father and son were driving down the highway one day, and the son was in the back and wound down his window slightly to let the fresh air in. But suddenly in came through the window a bee, and it buzzed around, and the son started to panic. And the dad, dad, there's a bee in the car, there's a bee in the car, it's going to sting us, there's a bee. And he was all panicked, but the dad just reached back and saw the bee, and as all dads are able to do, just grabbed the bee in his hand. <laughs> grabbed the bee in his hand and waited and waited. And eventually, to the shock of the son, the father released his hand, and the bee flew away. And the son said, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? The bee, it's still alive, it's still alive. It's going to sting me. And the father said, Son, son, it's okay. It's okay. Look at my hand. I've been stung. I've taken the sting. The bee can sting you no more. And in the same way, the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, look at the wounds of my hands. I've been stung by death, but death can sting you no more. I heard a story about a boy called Philip. He was nine years old and he went to church one Easter and during the kids' Easter time, the leader said, look, let's all go outside. Here's an empty egg, a plastic egg, and go outside into the gardens and find something that represents Easter and put it inside the egg and come back and show the class. So one by one, the children came back and they showed what was inside. It could have been a flower or a little twig or something. And then it came to Philip. He was the last one. And Philip opened up his egg, but it was empty. Everyone kind of laughed and teased him a bit, and the leader said, Philip, why is it empty? And he's kind of said, embarrassing, well, it's empty because the tomb is empty. A few weeks later, Philip died of congenital disease. And a newspaper article announcing Philip's death noted that at the conclusion of the funeral, eight children came forward and put a large empty egg on the small casket, and on it was a banner that said, the tomb 
was empty. Because death could not hold Jesus, it can't hold Philip, and it can't hold you or me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. On that Easter morning, Mary went to the tomb in the darkness. But she came away in the light. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, she found an unshakable hope for the brokenness of our lives. The unshakable hope for the pain of society and an unshakable hope for our eternity with Him. This is the hope of Easter morning. Let's pray together. I'd invite you in this room, in the courtyard, at home now, just to close your eyes in prayer. And though Jesus is the unshakable hope that we can truly build our lives on, He never forces His way in. It says in the Bible that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And if anyone hears my voice, He says, I will come in. And that's the invitation that you have this morning, to open the door to let the resurrected Jesus come in, to take your past and heal it, to forgive you of all the brokenness and the things that have weighed you down, and to follow Him to follow Him for eternity. I want to say a quick prayer. It's really very simple. Three words. Sorry, thank you, please. And as we say this together, but just say it silently in your heart, Jesus can hear. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done, the things that I've hurt others, hurt myself, and hurt you. Please forgive me. Cleanse me from my past. Cleanse me the things that have weighed me down. Thank you that you sent your son, Father. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me on the cross, to take my sin, to take my death, that I may be free of both. Now please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Set me free from the hurt, the hang-ups and the habits. Transform my life, my heart, that I may be a transforming influence in society. And give me the assurance of life eternal with you. I follow you as my God. I follow you as my King, the resurrected King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer here, online, somewhere, or in the courtyard, just one request, tell someone. Tell someone that you can celebrate with them and they can help you go on this amazing journey of being with Jesus. But now let's stand together. We're going to worship the resurrected King. We're going to celebrate all He has done and the fact that He is our unshakable hope. Let's worship together.